Hi, this is Tom Compton. You're listening to WHTT Speaks Out. Each week, Chuck Carlson and members of We Hold These Truths look into events that are, for the most part, ignored or overlooked by the mainstream media. And we analyze these events. Ready, set, let the sparks fly. In today's WHGT Speaks Out, we're going to talk about another vigil we just had. We're, we're having a flurry of these out in California, thanks to our friend Craig Hansen, who's been leading these and participating. And this latest one was at the Trinity Life Center in Sacramento, California. And the event there was a, another John Hagee Christians United for Israel Kufi this one was Celebrating Israel Concert. This is just one of the variations of types of programs that they do have. And so I'm just going to have Leslie read just the beginning of the introduction. The letter is kind of similar to some of what we talked about in previous broadcasts. And as we mentioned, we like to send a letter out as much as advance of the event so that the pastor and the staff have fair warning and know that we're coming. And so when we got there, they knew we were there. In fact, one of the pastors came out, and also one of the speakers from Kufi came out. So we're obviously must be creating a little interest. Maybe we're hoping a little fear and trepidation on their part that they're being challenged. So, Leslie, why don't you just give us the introduction there. Dear Pastor Daniel, Project Straightgate will conduct a vigil at your church on June 23, 2013, during the hours that you host John Hagee's Celebrating Israel concert. We have arranged vigils for peace with justice at many major Christian Zionist-leaning churches nationwide. Please cancel this concert now in the interest of your congregation the suffering of the Palestinian people and the unchristlike and indecent use of the funds that will be raised from your church. All right, thanks. And as the letter goes on, explains further in some references, we're seeing support now on this issue from some mainline churches. We've talked about this in the past. Now, the interesting thing about this is we compiled a list of emails of churches and people in the area that go to these churches sent out a rather large list. And so we were very pleasantly surprised to have some extra people show up that we were not even expecting, in addition to Craig Hansen, who was our main man in the Bay Area that spearheaded and and inspired Chuck Carlson, actually, from WHTT to travel to Sacramento and join in. So there were a lot of interesting things that happened. I think the good thing from talking with Chuck is they didn't have a very big crowd. This was a free event that a goodwill offering was going to be taken to raise money for all of their projects, including things like supporting illegal settlements in the West Bank of Palestine that have been building there now as most people know that listen to our programs, over 500,000 settlers in the West Bank in these illegal settlements under international laws. Chuck, why don't you uh, give us your opinion? I'm going to have 
Craig come on a little bit later and give his input because he actually got to talk to this man from Kufi. Uh, the gentleman's name is Victor Stursky, the Eastern Regional Coordinator. There is a Western representative, Randy Neal is his name, that we talked about in our last podcast. He was the speaker at the event in San Leandro. So they must rotate these people around. But the interesting thing was that this Victor Streitsky came out and actually talked to Craig and educated him, I guess. So, Chuck, why don't you give us a rundown of how you saw the vigil and some of the benefits that we, we actually realized from it. Okay, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. And as always, these are successful. We've never had a vigil that was not successful. If, if we didn't, it was because we didn't plan it right. It really doesn't have much to do with what the church does. It's all in the way we set it up. We did contact somewhat over 20,000 people who we thought might be somewhere in, in the religious realm and somewhere in California, most of whom we kind of focused on the northern parts of California. So probably more than half of our, our emails went to people in Sacramento or surrounding cities. And we, uh, of course, told them about the vigil, and we told them that we were going to invite them to come and participate if they wanted to on our side. And I, I guess we should have actually stirred some interest up for the sponsors of the event. But uh, the only disappointment we had is the sponsors of the event did not get a very big crowd, and that's unusual. Usually these things are jam-packed, so maybe that's a good sign. Our group consisted of four of us who actually came in from out of town and another four or five people who we didn't uh, even know who were going uh, to come. We, we expected about that many, but we expected people we knew, and uh, we invited several, and uh, some of them would probably be there. But uh, to our surprise, we had at least five additional helpers who came from all different organizations. One came from the Jewish Place for Peace. She was a young college girl, probably somewhere in graduate school in some medical pursuit. She came on a bicycle and rode 10 miles to be there. And uh, actually, we, it was raining when we finished, so one of our people took her, her on a bicycle home. There was a lady from uh, nearby from a pro-peace organization. There was a pastor of a, a United Methodist Church who understood exactly what we were doing and who felt strongly the way we did. And he said that his church was probably the most aggressive of the Methodist churches in Sacramento in that they treated and they actually dealt with public affairs, public events, news. They talked about important news. They talked about things like the occupation of Palestine in his church. So these are the kind of people that came. There was an Arabic guy who showed up. He was with some... Arabic organization that heard about us. I had a lady who runs a very important organization in the Bay Area and also is the president of a, a substantial organization in Washington, D.C. And uh, so we had a very good rapport with the people who came to help us, and our numbers were fine. And as usual, uh, we're, we're trying to encourage you, the listener, to set up your own vigil, and uh, our explanation and to you is if this sounds ominous and difficult to do, it's not. Uh, we do most of the work in advance by sending out the proper letters and invitations, and uh, you just have to get together a couple of friends and let, uh, let the rest work out, come out for itself. And we carry the traditional message that we always carry, biblical-oriented messages, blessed are the peacemakers, choose life, 
not war, because these churches always think they're pro-life, but it doesn't bother them to encourage John Hagee wars. So we'd like to remind them of that. And boo, Jesus, bomb. These kind of messages are the very simple messages that we convey to the churches. They can't miss the intent of the messages, and they know they're being challenged. And, of course, uh, we also properly notify the pastors and the police. And in this case, the pastors couldn't dodge the, the fact that we were coming. Uh, one of them, the, the senior pastor, the most senior pastor named Chuck Sealstead, came out and talked to us. And his words and the rapport with him were uh, very interesting because they're extremely typical of Christian Zionist churches. Of course, the key question we always ask them, do you believe the Bible is the fulfillment of Bible prophecy? And he, of course, does uh, emphatically believe that. The technique that you usually find with the radical Christian Zionist churches is a combination of bizarre distortion of Scripture combined with absolute uh, outright denial of material facts that the whole world accepts, accepts the few thousand, couple thousand people inside of these churches. And in the case of Mr. Sealstead, he made it clear that he was a great biblical scholar. He understood Greek. He could speak Hebrew. Uh, he had Bibles, all these kind of Bibles. He uh, dealt with all the original words. This is to compress us with how smart he was and how well informed. But when it came down to the simple question of who would Jesus bomb, he wouldn't answer that at all. And he felt that these were unworthy of his knowledge and wisdom. He came out and talked to us. He brought us water. This is one of the situations where we have a, a choice to make uh, when some pastor comes out with water. Uh, there's two, they, they, they commonly do it. Sometimes they bring coffee. But uh, when they bring water, we, we have a standard program. We gather everybody together and say, Pastor Sealstead is here to offer us water, and uh, I, for my part, will have to turn down this water because uh, this church is part of the mechanism that's starving the Palestinian people, and there's more water in this man's bag uh, than the Palestinian children have, some of them ever see in a, in, a, in, a, in a year. They just don't have clean water, so we invite you to send, to send this water to Palestine to the people you're helping to starve. If you, if you can remember that, that's the way you treat the pastor when he brings you water. In this case, the pastor came out, and uh, he started out by uh, criticizing where we were standing and claimed that we were on their turf, and uh, so we worked out a negotiation of that and uh, settled for the sidewalk, which we really expected uh, to be on anyway. And in the process, he indicated an interest, interest in our letter, so we didn't give him the standard, we won't take your water spiel. Instead, we asked him, if we take your water, will you agree to watch our DVD, Tragedy and the Turning? And he said not only would he watch it, but he would show it to his class. He was the big teacher there. And then later, the same Sealstead came back out and asked for more copies. He wanted uh, four copies. He had other places he wanted to use this video, although he hadn't seen it yet. And uh, we don't know whether to believe him or not, because Mr. Sealstead turned out to be an absolute liar, uh, as we found out a little bit later. We always hope for the best that he'll make a mistake and show it to someone, and they will actually agree with us. We asked him questions like, do you understand that Israel is occupying Palestine? And he said, his answer to that was, absolutely not. Absolutely not. There is no occupation. Now, everybody in the world knows that there's an active occupation for the last 65 years, but Sealstead denies that. And his basis, I asked him how he could deny that, and he said, well, it's very simple. There is no Palestine. 
There's never been a state of Palestine, and if there's no state, you can't occupy it. So then I said to him, well, does that mean that since there's no state, that the Israelis have a right to bulldoze the people's homes and kick them out into the streets and destroy their residence? Don't they have a right to uh, own and protect their homes, whether they have a state or not? And he said, well, yes, they have a right of self-protection. But, of course, his whole point here is very non-Christian. It's not based on anything in the Bible. It's based on politics, the politics of supposedly who owns the land. And so here's this pastor who says he speaks three languages and deals from great scriptural knowledge, but when you ask him a simple question about uh, is there occupation, he reverts to a legal technicality in his mind that he thinks allows the Israelis to destroy the Palestinians and to occupy their land, and that is that the world has never granted them a state. We also asked him if he thought, did it, does he, of course he believes that Israel is the fulfillment of biblical prophecy, so then I asked him a very simple question. Do you then really believe in your mind, do you, do you actually believe that Ariel Sharon is a direct descendant of Abraham? And, and he said, oh, well, absolutely. All Israelis are descendants of Abraham by, by faith. So here are these people who have never been in Palestine before, whose parents immigrated from Europe, Palestine 65 years ago, and who don't even look like the, uh, the Arabic people, but somehow he uses a political argument here that they are, by virtue of politics, they are the heirs to Abraham. They're, they're Abrahams because of the politics of them owning the state and calling themselves Israel. So this is the kind of thing you can expect when the, when the head pastor with the 30 years' experience and a Ph.D. degree from a seminary comes out and talks to you, you can expect him not to make any sense. You can expect your arguments to be superior to his. Uh, you can expect to really win the argument if it was, if it was any judge of the argument, but, but, of course, there won't be. So don't be afraid to, to go, and, uh, go there and, and face the pastor. There's one thing that didn't come up today that we always tell people to be aware of quite often, the pastor will send someone out to pray with you. The purpose in doing this is not to offer legitimate repentance to God for their evil acts and supporting occupation or anything like that, or to pray for their own wisdom. Their purpose is to tie you up and get you into a, a conundrum where they basically can lecture you for 15 or 20 minutes in, in, in a long prayer. So uh, whenever the pastor comes out and wants to pray with you, tell them that, no, you believe in prayer the way Jesus instructed, uh, go behind the bush by yourself, uh, hide your face in the ground, and beg for repentance for your sins. And you simply tell the pastor, there's the bush over there, go over there and pray. Don't ask us to listen to you. Jesus said, don't pray like the Pharisees, and we're not going to listen to a Pharisaic prayer here. So if we want to pray, we'll do our own prayer behind our own bush. This is basically how you treat the pastor when he comes out. You have to be a little bit prepared, but it's not very difficult, and uh, it's fun. It turns out to be a lot of fun because the pastors are never prepared for these kind of arguments. So uh, we had a great time. Uh, afterwards, we went and had dinner. The people who came were all unanimously enthused about being there, even though we couldn't measure the impact directly. But the idea here is that everybody inside that church knew we were there challenging the church on scriptural grounds, and that's really all they have to know. So that's my commentary, Tom. 
Oh, thank you, Chuck. That That's really excellent. And the thing that I mentioned briefly at the start is the fact that we're getting more interaction. You know, we've been doing this for over 10 years, these visuals, and generally we don't get people to come out at all. They, they want to ignore us. The fact that they're even mentioning us uh, in these meetings, that we're out there trying to smear us, these type of things, is very interesting. So, And also, Tom, this is one of the first where we've had a, a mainline pastor join us. Yes. Who just, uh, who's a, he's a member of a peace organization, I guess, probably, too. But he was a pastor of a Methodist church. So we're starting to have those kind of reactions. Well, that's great. And then we're going to hear next from Craig Hansen, who had a very interesting interaction with the KUFI coordinator the, that was visiting from the east that we mentioned earlier. One thing that I, I might add for the benefit of our listeners if you plan to do a vigil, if you want to do a vigil, make sure that you have a little New Testament in your pocket because that comes in very handy. In this case, Pastor was backpedaling so fast uh, down the berm back towards the church that we didn't have time to really pull out the New Testament and ask him to uh, show us some uh, places where Jesus would, uh, would accept bombing people, killing their children, taking their homes. We normally pull out the New Testament and just hand it to the pastor and ask them to show us some references in the New Testament where there's sponsorship of an organization like KUFI that uh, openly believes in war and, and doesn't mind killing the Palestinians because they don't think they belong there. We really need to have him explain where Jesus would condone that and just any bit of passage he can offer to us, even five or ten words, would be much appreciated. Here's the New Testament, Pastor. Please show us. Well, of course... It so happened we didn't have an opportunity to do that this time, but if you, if you want to do a, a vigil with us, don't forget your New Testament like I did. I actually gave mine away on the last vigil we were at and forgot to buy a new one. But uh, you always need to have a $1 New Testament in your pocket. Was it this pastor that denied John Hagee's call for war? Did you tell me that, or was it the guy telling... Well, this I'm, is the same uh, man that you're going to be hearing about, uh, this uh, victor, and in a debate with Stephen Sizer, Stephen Sizer was only on the debate for five minutes and then he had to leave, but he was from England and it didn't work out for him. But in that, he did make a clear statement of, that he quoted John Hagee verbatim about praying for war uh, and, and the bombing of, uh, of uh, Iran. I believe it was the bombing of Iran. He's made a lot of these statements. And for the purpose, he said, of encouraging a, a quick return of Jesus to earth. And Stephen quoted a well-known statement that Hagee's made more than once in the past, and the speaker, Victor, just simply denied that it happened. He simply said that Hagee never said that. That was a creation of some kind. So he was basically accusing the sizer of lying. And the point here, of course, is that Christians united for Israel lies all the time. And so the idea of denial of an absolute, total, simple, simple and well-known fact is nothing unusual for them. They simply do that because lying works in about 90% of the cases. Most people will be neutralized by a strongly told lie, and they won't know who's right, and they might even tend to believe Victor. So they just practice that in this debate. He did simply come out and say, Hagee never said that. And, of course, we have very similar statements 
uh, almost verbatim, that we have recorded on our websites, and everybody else has them too. They're on a mystery. Well, the most well-known quote is actually from the Bill Moyer show covering the Kufi event in 2007. In fact, we yeah. have that video clip of John Hagee calling for a preemptive strike against Iran to protect Israel. To and protect so he's Israel, probably yes. made it a number of times. So, yeah, yeah, that one Stephen quoted awesome. a slightly different uh, quote, but it was the sub- same substance uh, of, of that one. And I'm sure Hagee has said this over and over and again, and he's probably said it every way you can say it. But uh, the, the point, of course, is, Again, ladies and gentlemen, if you're if you're thinking of going on a vigil, you have to be prepared to have your jaw drop when someone comes out in a five hundred dollar, thousand dollar wool suit, beautifully impeccably dressed, comes up to you, says he's an assistant pastor or the youth pastor here, and then just absolutely lies to you. Don't be surprised, they do it. It's the mechanism of keeping their system going. And it's required. They can't get along without it. Yeah. But there are there are people that have been duped. And I think our last podcast described what happened at the church in San Leandro where Craig was actually able to have a reasonable conversation with the men. And they were not committed Christian Zionists like the pastor that you're talking about. So you know, yes. we don't want to them. And even though they were hosting a Kufi event, which turns out was promoted by one of the young parishioners who happened to be uh, on a college campus's Kufi on campus, where they're trying to capture the young people on campuses. So she convinced them that they needed to hear from Kufi. So we don't know where they are, but the fact that the Kufi people know who we are. They've done research on us, trying to dig up the dirt, so to speak. And so the fact that you're there, and the other fact here, too, is this is Craig's third vigil. He didn't want to do one by himself. We came out and helped him, and then he was ready to do more because he saw, uh, actually, by going into the church and going and hearing a couple of these events, he was able to convince himself even more. And an even interesting aside, Craig has, uh, he lives in the Bay Area, and his neighbors are Palestinian. So he, he mentioned this to his Palestinian neighbors, and the wife actually is an activist, and she said, oh, I have some friends in Sacramento that she'll call. So she called these these folks. Uh, that must have been the ones that came but the interesting thing is they already knew about it. It probably was from our email that we sent, this bulk email that we sent out. So kind of a small world there that uh, these things are happening as, yes. like they've done. So You're absolutely right. The event at the gates is the finale. It's the whole program is what makes these important and successful and, uh, of course, immeasurable, but still successful. And Something else that happened on this trip, before we uh, went on our vigil, we had a, a conference call with a, a referred party who is a pastor and a Ph.D. in a very large evangelical church in the Sacramento area, well, in Jason Town, but a very large church. And he conferred with us, and he agreed with us 100% in, in almost everything we do. 
and he simply stated that he was working inside his church for the same objectives we're working on, and that his church is every bit as dispensational, every bit as Christian Zionist as the one we were just at. So this is a case of a career pastor who is actually working for the, for the recovery the, of a large church and school there in the general area, and no one knows about it except a few of us. He has to be subtle and careful, of course, and we respect that. And we respect these confidences that people give us, but we want people to know that there are, within evangelical churches now, there are people that understand our point of view and believe what we say and believe our scriptural point of view as well. And we don't know how common this would be, but we do know that there are more now than there were six or seven years ago. I just wanted to say one thing, Chuck, that I, I didn't tell you. You know, when Victor came out, he, he spoke a lot with Craig, and I kind of stayed out of the line of fire there, but when he was leaving, he mentioned something about a radio show or being on the radio, and I said, oh, well, Chuck Carlson has a radio show too. Perhaps you should debate him. And his answer was, oh, well, I'm not very good at, at debating, you know, and he, as he ran away. And I thought, you know, you coward. You, don't, you know, you're not, you, you won't be out here and be a, a bold witness. You won't even be a bold witness on the radio. You're afraid. You know, you're, you're not sure of your position enough to take a strong enough stand against someone else who knows more. I well, thought that was very interesting. It, it is interesting, and you will find that, that these people very quickly know that they can only debate if they have a friendly host who, who manipulates the debate to cover and protect for them. Mm-hmm. So uh, if, if, the, uh, if the host of the program, if the host of the debate is very uh, positive toward them, and uh, they, they might be able to struggle along. But essentially their debating facts are pretty thin. And uh, I don't think you have to be too bright to debate. You don't have to be a theologian for sure. Uh, however, debating them net practically never happens. It's something they don't do. They avoid it, and uh, for good reason. They don't want to be exposed to uh, the possibility that someone would believe their adversary. But a man in, in that position who's authored books on the subject, who has a, a high-level position within KUFI, you know, you, you, you would think that he would relish the opportunity to debate you, Chuck, wouldn't you? Well, yeah, you would think so if this, was a, if this was an honest game. But it's not an honest occupation nor an honest war. The people that are occupying the Palestinians are not even Stephen in armaments with the Palestinians. They have a, a big advantage, and that's why they continue the occupation. If the Palestinians were armed as well as they are, the occupation would end in a hurry. So it's the same story with, uh, with words. They realize that they have a lot of vulnerability. Yeah, I really and saw that. I couldn't believe how cowardly he was. They most, almost never debate well, they have nothing to gain, actually. You know, we're a small, right. but on the other hand, they're quick to smear us in the common tactics of calling people anti-Semitics and, and waving the Holocaust are getting to be kind of old hat now, and people are seeing through a lot of this. And so going to facts or what Jesus, comparing to what Jesus said, you know, that's not, you're not going to, I think, Chuck is right that you're not going to see them wanting to debate us. They want to get people not to pay attention to us by calling us names. 
So that's good in a way because somebody was saying, well, gee, if they're as bad as they are, maybe I should look into it. You know, so the honest inquirer, you know, they can look at our website and, and read our articles and so forth and make up their own minds. And again, I think it's a question of religion. Christianity is about a relationship with Jesus. So in the religious aspect, dogma prevents, in many cases, the relationship with Jesus or at least demonstrating that relationship that we're supposed to have with Jesus in reflecting the way we treat other people. And, you know, we may not agree on things, but we should be respectful of other people. But Amen, Tom. Anyway. Well said. Oh, hi, uh, Chuck Lepley, Tom and Patty. It's good to be back with you guys. I just want to just go over some of the, the highlights for me from the vigil that we held in Sacramento. I would say that probably the, the best highlight with Chuck was just uh, was able to meet you in person, picking up at the uh, Sacramento airport. That was, a, that was a great treat to spend some time with you. And then uh, meeting the director of uh, AmericansNew.org uh, joining us, uh, that, was, that was really pleasant. And, of course, uh, seeing you, Patty, with your camo cap, uh, that's, that's always a treat as well. I was surprised that other people joined us on the street. It wasn't just a WeHoldTheseTruths.org uh, vigil this time. We, we had some people join us, and you guys have uh, already referred to that. But uh, one, of the, one gentleman was from the uh, United Methodist Church. And what's the, the theme that resonates through all these people is the inhumanity, the injustice that's going on towards the Palestinians by the Israeli government. And this is, this is something that resonates in all the hearts of people who understand justice, who understand that we are all God's children and you just don't abuse people like that. So that message uh, gets out there and it resonates with people. Peace Action Network is the organization we're describing that uh, is in Sacramento and that my contact here in Santa Rosa called over there and says, lo and behold, it was already on their calendar. They already knew about the vigil there in Sacramento. So that was really a neat uh, highlight for me, being able to contact and be uh, associated with those people as well. One other highlight was being able to uh, speak on the phone with uh, one of Chuck's friends who's in the Bay Area, and he's working on an actual um, book on the scriptural analysis, discussion on the uh, Christian Zionists, uh, scriptures, what they use, and a, a full exegesis um, on that to, to expose that. So that was really good to get a, a chance to talk with him, and hopefully I'll get to meet him in person in, in the next couple of weeks. Also, there was uh, a lot of horn honking with thumbs up as people uh, drove by. That was really encouraging. And it, uh, my question is, is, how is it the pagans seem to understand killing innocents is wrong more than the Christians do? Again, back to my, my first point, is people understand on an innate level, that inhumanity to man is not good. There were a few lows to the experience as well. The first one was having a water bottle thrown at me from a passing car. As somebody went by, they, they heaved a, a water bottle at me. The good news is it didn't, it didn't hit me and just hit the, hit the curb and flipped over the sidewalk. So that was, uh, that was the first time I've had anything uh, thrown at me from a passerby. And then uh, this, this was a classic. A lady, <laughs> I, I use that term in quotes, pulls into the meeting in the, the church parking lot, and she slows down, rolls her window down, and the, the expression on her face was priceless, just kind of a, a twisted-up face, and she goes, you should read your Bible. 
<laughs> goes on into, in, in, into the meeting. And I, I thought, I, I wish I, I could have got her back and said, you know, hey, lady, it's because I read my Bible that I am here. <laughs> so uh, that, was, that was one of the experiences. Also, uh, another low was having this uh, Jewish Christian, uh, again, lady in quotes, coming up and just getting in my face, and also in the, the gentleman from the United Methodist Church face as we're standing there, and she told me that I was misinformed and that God's the Jews are and were and always will be God's chosen people and that I need to read my Bible again and just it's you know, just don't don't confuse me with the facts my mind's made up and she was uh, very adamant about her Jewishness and uh, and her, her Christian belief. And one of the interesting things that did come out of the meeting is that a Kufi representative came out. His name is Victor Stursky. Turns out that he's the Eastern Regional Coordinator of Kufi for the East Coast. And he came out with a smile and so forth. I didn't know who he was. He said he was with Kufi, but it didn't register with me. And this is where I failed to do my homework because Kufi knows all about us. They're able to go into our website and pull out, you know, kind of esoteric things that are there that, you know, I probably Chuck didn't even know are there. And so they're, they're doing their homework on us. But, you know, I didn't do my homework on Kufi enough to even have a clue who this guy was. Frankly, you know, I, I thought he was a, a, a salesman of some kind. But Victor mentioned to me that he had debated Stephen Sizer. And he is, uh, Stephen Sizer is a, I, I, think, I think he's Anglican, I'm not sure, but he's, he's, uh, he's a uh, British, British pastor. And he, he's written the book, uh, Christian Zionist Soldiers. And I, I respect uh, Stephen highly. And so when Victor said he had debated him on Moody Radio, I, I was really interested you know, in, in taking a look at that. And basically, I think Victor and the other pastor that Chuck spent a long time uh, talking with, they, they were just looking for a photo op. They just came and, and took, some, took some pictures and uh, just said hello. And there really wasn't a whole lot of dialogue there. And this is where I really felt I, I, I missed the boat and being able to engage face-to-face with Victor. So, Victor, I hope you're listening to this podcast because there's some things I, I wish I would have asked you and talked to you about when you were actually on the, on the sidewalk there with me. Interesting thing, if you want to do an Internet search on that uh, debate, and again, I put the debate in quotes, it's under um, Moody Radio, moodyradio.org. And if you just do a, a, a search on uh, Victor Stursky, and that's S-T-Y-R-S-K-Y, if you do a search on him, I think it will come up. What was interesting about that debate, it was about uh, the whole thing was about 50 minutes long. Victor talked for about 40 minutes, and Stephen Sizer kind of came in late. It was just a phone call, and he had to leave early. So it really wasn't a debate. It was Victor and the, the moderator playing Christian Zionist, and then even got to talk for a little bit, and then uh, he had to leave, and then back to the moderator and, and Victor. But what's interesting is that Victor did get uh, unnerved when they were reading questions from people who were emailing in and, and, and while the debate was going on. And where, where he got unnerved was when the question was, well, what about the human rights violations of Israel against the Palestinians? Of course, that's why we're on the street. That's why we're doing what we're doing. And then Victor's response was, well, we're there to support the people, the nation of Israel, this is not a political organization. We aren't involved in the politics. We're here to support God's people and the nation of Israel. But he doesn't seem to be able to make the, the connection between supporting the government that does the atrocities. Somehow there's a disconnect there in his mind. 
And you, you could tell with, while he was talking on the uh, podcast that, that there's a struggle. He can't reconcile that because I do believe, you know, he's a pastor, he's a leader of worship, he's a, he's a uh, man that's, that's seeking after God, but there's this inner, inner struggle between seeing one thing and believing uh, something else. The one thing I came up with is that theology issue, and that's why I go back to Chuck's friend, if this can be exposed, that the theology behind Zionism is corrupt. And to me, it's an evil virus that has gotten into the church, and it's gotten us away from the teachings of Christ, that if this theology can be expunged from the Christian thinking, then Zionism is going to collapse under its own weight. Anyway, the question, Victor, if you're listening, this is what I wish I would have been able to ask you. It's always one of those things, you know, Thomas, we, yeah, I, I know we've, we've all experienced it. You're, you're, you have a contact with someone, and then you walk away and go, oh, if I'd only said that, or oh, you know, why, didn't, why didn't I think of that at the time? Well, this was definitely that case for me. But what I wanted to pose to Victor was hypothetically, let's just, let's just say the Jews, the Jews' right to Israel, the, the land, Let's just take that off the table and just say that doesn't exist for right now, hypothetically. And then, then, the, then here's the question. Then would you support, as a Christian, land confiscation with the bulldozing of villages, ethnic cleansing, discriminating laws against uh, inhabitants of the land, illegal detainment of citizens, torture of prisoners, and the, the arrest and shackling of children by soldiers? You know, would you, in the name of Jesus, would you support that? And I, I know he would say no. So that the only problem then is why he supports that indirectly is because of his theology. And that's, that's the thing we, we have to go after. I thought of a sign that said, we say something like this, Christian Zionism theology is a source of injustice. And you, you go from, from um, Old Testament scriptures, and it, it talks about do justice to the alien who dwells in the land. And it says, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love mercy and to walk humbly after your God. Justice and mercy goes all, all the way through the, the Bible. Old Testament, New Testament, it doesn't matter. And so it's, it's not just a New Testament war against an Old Testament war. It's, it's the nature of God that's being really, I would say, drunk through the mud here. Because people look at this, and Christians are supporting these human rights violations. What kind of people are these? Also, the whole idea of returning to the land all through Scripture, is that the covenant blessings, the covenant blessings of the land or God's blessings and all, it, requ- it demands covenant obedience. And if there's, if there's no obedience, then the blessings don't follow. I was playing around today on, on YouTube just doing a couple of uh, searches. I found this interesting five-part series. It's in call, entitled, Anti-Zionism is Not Anti-Semitism. Because uh, with, with Randy Neal on the, the vigil that we held in Roseville. And he was basically saying, because we're anti-Zionism, we're anti-Semitic. And he was trying to, to drag us into that cesspool and just link us to the Holocaust. And it was really, to me, it was just an ugly exchange on, on what he was trying to do there. But this five-part series on YouTube is a lecture given by an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. And so this... <laughs> This is really good as, as he's talking about this. And he, he is very clear on the, on the whole idea that expulsion from the land was due to lack of obedience. I mean, he gets it. This Jewish rabbi understands it, understands it completely. And just a couple of quotes from this rabbi in the talk. He said, anti-Semitism is basically an illogical bigotry. And I, I would agree with that. You know, we're all God's people. 
And then he says, anti-Zionism, on the other hand, is a logical and understandable opposition to the philosophy and ideals of Zionism. Coming out of a rabbi's mouth that we would, that we hold these truths, would agree with 100%. And he also said, Judaism and Zionism are not only different, but are all also incompatible and mutually exclusive concepts. So if we have here Orthodox Jews are against Zionism, and we, we hold these truths, and other Christian believers are, are also against Zionism, then who supports it? This is, this is what just really dumbfounds me as, as we go into these vigils and see what's, what's going on there. And what we have is nationalistic, secular Jews being supported by ill-informed Christians who are missing Jesus' message of peace and love. And I, you know, every time we go to one of these, Tom and Chuck and, and all you guys, it's, it's a learning experience. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm learning more and learning more of the issues and the background causes uh, to all this. I do appreciate the dialogue and, and seeing people coming in from uh, like the PSHAX network to join us, that, that's really good because not only are they coming to stand for human rights, but they also get to witness another side of Christianity that isn't out there supporting the, uh, the death and suffering of you know, innocent Palestinians, whether they be uh, Muslim or, or Christians. It doesn't matter. It's, it's the human rights thing. I got the chance to talk to one of the uh, gals who was a young uh, Jewish woman and, you know, she had never had any contact with evangelicalism, per se. And so I was able to talk to her about that and about Christ in a way that she probably hadn't heard before. So to me, that was the positive side of this vigil. Looking forward to more with you guys. And Chuck, thanks again so much for coming out to California to join us. It was definitely a pleasure to have you with us. And again, to the big cause, uh, I feel like sometimes <laughs> I'm looking at the ocean trying to empty it. And it uh, but anyway, here, here we are. And I, I, one of my lines is that, you know, all we're doing is God calls us to be faithful. So thanks, guys. That's, that's my, my spin on the, uh, on, the, on the vigil. Thank you so much, Craig. That was really an excellent report. And so we want to hear from Craig and uh, his reaction to the event. Thanks for listening. Be sure to tell a friend about our podcast. And please visit our website, whtt.org. You will find a wealth of information and resources like the latest Pharisee Watch and unheralded news articles. Also, you can order our new video, Christian Zionism, The Tragedy and the Turning, Part 1. Even though this video is copyrighted, we don't mind if you copy it as long as you copy all of it. Then you can educate your friends and acquaintances about the dangers of Christian Zionism. Start small, think big, and press on toward the straight gate.